What's up, everyone? Welcome to this episode of Creator Support. On today's episode, we dive into a new creators union that emerged. We also talk about starting your career as a creator later in life and the complexities of the creator-editor relationship. All right, if you make it to the deep end, let us know. All right, we're audio only this week. We are audio only, and I'm a little under the weather. You are under the weather. Everyone from the Northeast is under the weather. I, I traveled back for a wedding to the Northeast, and so did a couple of our colleagues. Everyone came back sick. That's right. I don't know what's going on over there, but... You know, the other thing we should talk about is we have a new table. Yes, that's true. We are sitting right yeah. now in our studio <laughs> with a table that is an exact replica of our old table, <laughs> but, but bigger. twice the size. Yeah, it is uh, It is a five-foot table. It's, it's incredible that this is the first time we've actually uh, invested in the table that we record at. The other table that we've had was just one that was handed to us by someone who's moving out of an office. So I just wanted to bring that up. Funny that I'm doing it on an audio podcast where you cannot see. Yeah, sorry, everybody. But but you'll you'll this, see it. This table is twice the size <laughs> and twice the shine. Is it twice the shine or twice the sheen? It's, uh, it's, you know what, you know it's a shiny table. It's a shiny table. It's a shiny table. Okay, so for today's episode, um, we wanted to talk about some news that, that was announced this week, specifically around creators.org, which is marketed as a united voice for creators, essentially a union for creators. And this was something that, that you know, was... Uh, in discussion for a long time, we've we've heard discussions about this. We actually found out through this that there's another union called the Creators Guild of America. And I want to preface this conversation by saying I'm not that familiar with unions. Same. I'm not that familiar. I have a general understanding, but I'm not that familiar. And I'd like to speak to the creators of this um, specifically Ezra Cooperstein from uh, Night Media, who was, uh, who was very much involved in behind this. But I wanted to, to, to talk about it and maybe open up some conversation and dialogue for those of you who are listening to give us your perspective on this and, and explain to us you know, some of the stuff. Uh, but hopefully we can get Ezra on to talk about it uh, next week. So the mission statement for creators.org is a nonprofit organization with the mission to advance the rights of creators around the world to build a better digital ecosystem. Uh, there's no dues to join. They're uh, fully nonprofit and they are using donations and sponsorships to fund their efforts. The members right now that they market um, are Ryan Trahan, Sophia Nygaard, Isaiah Photo, uh, a few other creators that I think are all represented by, by Night Media. Um, they're uh, essentially, so, what, some of the stuff that they talk about, they say that their key focus areas are income, so equitable monetization for all creators, Ownership, securing a seat at the table with platforms to drive accountability to creators, fair data policy, advocating for fair and transparent data policies for creators, creator well-being, creator health, well-being and sustainability, diversity and inclusion, and artificial intelligence, navigating the impact of AI in the creator landscape and creative industries. Yeah, basically creators.org is highlighting on the website that there's an imbalance in power between like the tech giants who have these platforms and creators mm -hmm. and that creators need some sort of ability to come together and protect themselves, advocate for themselves uh, moving forward, which high level I think makes- I'm with that. Makes sense. Yeah, I'm with that. I think um, especially when it comes to our relationship as creators to the tech platforms that we use to distribute our content, that is a relationship that probably needs 
as time goes on, some level of, you know, a next chapter of sophistication, yeah. right? Collectively, we have no ability to communicate right. outside of posting. Right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, we really don't. And, and you think about like, you know, a, a, a labor. Like remember when, sorry to cut you off, but remember when Kylie Jenner kept posting about how Instagram stopped <laughs> That's putting right. photos on the feed? She's like the Derek Fisher of Instagram. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. the head of the She's Players Association. She's the head of the Association. Players Association. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of- And Instagram to, was like, Adam Masseri was like, okay, heard. Yeah, to me, <laughs> I can kind of understand this in the context of the NBA Players Association um, negotiating with the NBA for player rights. But, you know, there is a key difference to how we all operate as creators. We are talent, yes, um, but as we're building platforms, we're building media distribution platforms, which are in the business of advertising, those rates are subjective, right? Like based on relevance, reach, um, brand, there's so much subjectivity to a brand deal that that is not something that is could ever be a part of this, in my opinion. You can't go to brands and be like, this is equitable monetization. Yeah. You can, though, I guess, turn to YouTube, Twitch, um, Twitter maybe even, or, or X, and, and say, hey, you know, like the percentage needs to be higher, I guess. Or in the context of YouTube, one example could be um, negotiating or coming to the table about memberships. It's something that we talked to uh, to Neil, the, the the CEO of YouTube, talked to him about how their membership split is 70-30. We believe it should be more in favor of creators. Um, and maybe that's something that like creators org can come to YouTube and and suggest. I th maybe that's what the the potential outcomes can be. Yeah, it seems like it. I don't think it's probably right to uh, compare this to you know, like the Screen Actors Guild or the Directors right. Guild, right? I, I, you know, I'm so used to the history of those strikes where it just means you can't work if you're a part of one of those guilds mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. unions. And that's always kind of scared me. Whenever I've looked at some of my friends who are working in the more traditional Hollywood side out here and there's a strike and they're like, I can't work anymore and now I'm doing Uber Eats. Mm -hmm. I'm like, man, I would never want to put myself in that position. I understand that, you know, you want to be a part of the union, you have to be a part of the union, and you want to advocate for all of the writers like you. Mm -hmm. But it feels so different than what we do because we're all so different as creators. Like yeah. our, our situation is different. The platform we work with, our audiences are so different. It's hard to imagine or compare the two feels much more bespoke in, yeah. in what we do than um, in Hollywood. And, and again, I don't I don't think also that like I even this union, it seems unlikely we would ever get to a place where like all the creators have banded together and they're like, <laughs> totally, we're not going to post anymore. But who knows? Who knows? Who knows, man? Maybe that's, maybe but I mean, that's possible. Could you imagine if, I, I don't even want to say, like, I don't think that would happen. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't know. We should talk to... We should talk to creators.org. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm I'm super curious about this. You know, the thing about, you know, my father-in-law is a, um, or, or just retired, but was a um, cinematographer um, and, and director of photography uh, for years in Hollywood. He's part of the Guild um, and a very, very proud member of the Guild. Um, he, you know, has incredible health care where he gets to go to motion picture hospital. There's like a there's like a hospital for people in the industry, you know, that cool. you can go to with the health insurance. 
Um, his like retirement is fantastic. Like he's he's a very proud member uh, of the guild, and um, I think it's created a lot of great scenarios for uh, people like him and and people in the industry who who are doing a trade, you know, and yeah. and and working on a day rate or a project basis with the studios. I just think that although what we're doing is similar, it's very different. Because Colin and Samir LLC, the company, right? You and I, what we do, um, we operate a media distribution outlet, like a network that sells advertising. So we're gonna make decisions based on that. Like you don't see really a unionization of media companies. Right? It's not like Bleacher Report and Barstool and, and BuzzFeed, BuzzFeed are and in Fox. a union. Yeah. They're not. And that's actually, you know, a lot of us are more similar to those companies. We make content, we attract an audience of a certain type, and we sell advertising against that, which is different than if you and I were hosts and getting paid by a network to show up every day and produce a show or be talent in a show. That's super different. And so- I'm very curious what the suggestion is here. If it is like us as these modern media companies collective bargaining with platforms. I'm curious uh, why they felt like this needed to happen now and why, I mean, I know, you know, Hank Green was, mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned the other union before, people have tried to do this. I'm curious, you know, were there certain things that happened with the platforms or is there a certain reason why this really needs to happen right now. Curious. It might be just, you know, in anticipation. You know, I, th mm -hmm. I do think we have to acknowledge that we are getting into a place where this is no longer, you know, years from now, this is no longer going to be called the creator economy. This is yeah. just modern entertainment. And I think that's where they're looking at historical and what has worked in entertainment to date and how do we apply that? Because this is the modern entertainment industry. And somebody has to recognize that and advocate on that behalf. But I do think it's it's very different. Taking the playbook of what has worked in the past and applying it to what we're doing might not work. I also just wonder, you know, it's it's free to sign up. Like, what's the criteria to be a part of the union when everyone seems like a creator? Yeah, you true. know, in a in a traditional trade, you're either doing the trade or you're not. Mm -hmm. With creators, there are people who just, you can get millions of views, but you may not like consider yourself a creator. You're just like an active user, right? Or your motivations are different. You have a business, so you create content about the business. Right. It was interesting. I saw on my Instagram stories, uh, Taylor Offer, who mm -hmm. uh, runs a, a apparel company. Called Feet, yeah. Called Feet. He, you know, is like a creator in his own right, and he, he posted uh on TikTok, like the three worst places to live, the three worst yeah. cities to live in <laughs> yeah. uh, in your 20s. And it got picked up by the media. It was everywhere. And they called him like this TikToker or mm -hmm. this content creator ranked, mm. you know, the three worst cities. And he reposted it and said, why do they call, like, I'm not a content creator. Like, I'm not a content creator. I'm not a TikToker. But it's, he's like, I'm a like entrepreneur. Like, yeah. I'm a founder. Yeah. And I think that's interesting that I think, Still, traditional media, if you post something on one of these platforms and it does well, you are a TikToker just because your video mm -hmm. did well. But, he, but like, yeah. of course not. Mm -hmm. 
Like that would imply that he just creates content for a living. Right. Like, I mean, the sa exact same scenario. My brother, it, you know, operates a, uh, our family's clothing brand and posts on social to attract an audience to purchase clothing. Is he a creator? You know, and I, and I think the reality is when we have the, the conversation around creators, the answer is no. Yeah. He's an e-commerce operator or but, like a, a fashion But could he be operator. a part of the union, even though his right. motivations for posting are totally different That's the thing, is than like, someone who actually makes money like a media business from advertising? The suggestion of what a creator is today is, is someone who is posting uh, video, audio, or maybe written, I, I would, I'll add written in there, and monetizing through advertising, right? I think so. I think that's but what- But there are some people who monetize through a Patreon, like memberships. Sure, or, or memberships, yeah. So that, that's the thing is like we, it is, it feels m m very bespoke because there also could be someone who's monetizing in a totally different way, like hosting and getting like, you know, speaking gigs. Yeah. And like marketing themselves through content. So, you know, the equitable um, monetization for all creators, I do think this, the, the same way, like you can't apply the studios are to actors as uh, platforms are to creators, maybe. Yeah. I think that that's probably like- Obviously there are a ton of differences that, there, but- Yeah, but that that one works for me. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm cool with that. The ownership, I like that. Hey, you know, is there- is there an opportunity for us to have more ownership over our data and our audience? Yeah. I mean, if, if there's like a, you know, you can, you can approach a platform and, and try and figure that out. That'd be great. I mean, our business would be in a very, very different, different place, probably much better place. If we own some if of the over data. the past yeah. seven years, we've had mm -hmm. the emails of the people who've subscribed and we've had a way to actually communicate with them. Cause we really can't. No, we really can't. Yeah, totally. Especially on, I mean, on all platforms, but yeah. Yeah. Um, Creator well-being, I, I think when I look at some of these focus areas, like creating resources for that, or like if you are a part of this union, you get access to this from a well-being perspective. I do like that. I think of that as like health insurance or, you know, other other factors that are involved. Yeah. And in, in that scenario, you would have to pay dues. Yeah, then you have to pay your, dues. You have to pay yeah. dues. To, but that would be that's, fine. And maybe that's the future of that's this fine. union is yeah. that, you know, certain creators who are at a level where they can afford the dues mm -hmm. will pay to be a part of it. Yeah. Uh, diversity and inclusion, I'm all for that, of course. I, I don't know how that shows up, but maybe it's uh, it's it's advocating on behalf of more diverse creators on platforms, again, on platforms probably. Um, and then artificial intelligence, like that is going to be one of the most important focus areas moving forward is just someone has to represent that conversation. Because again, as I as I zoom out and look at what's going on in the in the landscape of the creator economy in the next chapter of all these platforms, I believe the next chapter is more about videos than it is about creators. Whether or not people are saying that out loud. Yeah, you know, well it's it's clear that it's it's kind of now in the best interest of platforms to prioritize videos over creators, unfortunately. Yeah. Because I, creators come and go. Like the brand of a creator is gonna come and go always. It's like cyclical. But we always need, or not we, platforms always need an influx of ton, tons of video. Now, it's not that platforms don't need really positive narratives and yeah. case studies of creators and who make it. powerful now, creator brands. Yeah, the powerful creator brands are what drive the influx of video. But, you know, the, the storytelling of shorts, TikTok, and reels has actually created a scenario where you don't need the creator story as much. You need the story of 
blowing up on TikTok. You need the story of getting a million views. You need the story of the reels bonus you got. You know, there's other stories that also incentivize video creation. And I think at the end of the day, no fault of theirs, but number one is is video creation. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like it, like more high quality video creation creates more um, time spent with audience. Of course, great creator brands make, you know, deep communities and, and sticky audiences. But I do think that that future of AI puts into question where where we stand on the priority list. If AI ends up making better videos than us, you know, if people can make that with AI, then yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'd just like, I'd be interested to be in these conversations. High level, if you have a better understanding of, you know, unions or creators.org or what you think could be possible here, uh, would love to hear it. And then again, we are working on getting um, someone from that team on the show to, to ask them these questions directly and have them explain to us um, the value proposition of, of creators.org. All right, let's get some questions, huh? Let's hit it. By the way, this was something that was shared around our Slack, but um, 90-year-old starting a YouTube channel, just an incredibly sweet story. Incredibly sweet. Uh, a lot of tears, I think, from our company, people watching and kind of tearing up. Yeah. Because, um, you know, her video, uh, which we can, you know, share in the description. Yeah. It's just so sweet, and it's a message about like remaining creative. I love it, and getting the most out of your golden years, you know, out of uh, your time on Earth, and uh, very motivating. Super cool. So the channel is called Gallery Twenty Two Martinsville VA. Keep an eye out, Creator on the Rise. So good that that's what it's called. Um, Here's the description: Nearing ninety. Aline would like to share her experience and encourage other people to try something new, no matter what their age. Having started at 73, she can attest that it is never too late, and exploring the world of art in glass can be a rewarding adventure for your golden years. This channel is dedicated to fused glass art, stained glass, a dog named Bella, and remembrances. Shout out. So good. So good. Okay, speaking of starting YouTube late, we got a question that says, I'm a new creator and I'm also 36. What advice do you have for those starting their creator journey later in life? First thing I'll say is I think you're in a really good spot because if you're 36 and you haven't been a creator up to this point, you have clearly found a way to monetize outside of being a creator. You don't need it to fulfill your needs, which Mm -hmm. I think is very important when we were younger we did not really take that advice. Yeah, we tried to put everything on this career, and uh, the career is a bit of a roller coaster, and it's a lot. There's a lot of unknowns and experimenting that you have to go through. So I think it's better to have the financial side figured out, and also, it's a bit of a discovery of identity. And I think if you're a younger person, it's very easy for the cues that come from the algorithm, from viewership, subscribers, comments to impact your identity of who you think you are, who you think you should be. And I think 36 at this point, if you have not been a creator, is another example where you're hopefully at this point a little more confident and uh, understanding of what your identity is and who you are. So that's the second thing. And then third, you know, there are roadmaps of people who've started around your age. Obviously, Casey Neistat was creating for a long time, but Samir and I always bring up the fact that he did not start daily vlogging until he was 34. And we bring that up because we are both 34 and it feels like it's time that we 
daily vlog at this point and, and commit the next 850 days to that. Mm, nope. <laughs> mm -mm. Um, but it is motivating. It's very motivating. Anything is possible. Yeah. I remember watching that, that first video of Casey's and he like writes on his hand that it's his 34th birthday. You know, like his like classic Casey, like the like text on screen is like written in Sharpie on his hand. Um, and I was like 25 at the time and I was like, damn, I have like a decade before I have to really blow up on YouTube. <laughs> I remember thinking, damn, I'm going to blow up way ahead of him. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And then here I am at 34. Yeah, here we are at 34. <laughs> still, still trying. Um, yeah. the, um, the other thing is I, I would like to share a summary of a post I made on LinkedIn. Oh, here it is. It's been a while. It's been the a while. The LinkedIn card. Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm back. That's all I got to say. Did you, where did you go? <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean, where did I go? I, I, I didn't post as much over the past couple of okay. months, but I got this new thing. I actually wasn't going to say this publicly, but here I am. Oh, no. I'm a guy who says a lot of things publicly. Okay. I sat down with a cup of coffee on Sunday morning and just decided whatever I write, I'm going to share. Okay. And you know me. I didn't proofread. I don't check my grammar. Yeah. I got misspelled words. That's just who I am. Press publish, man. That's right. Um, so ironically, my first post was about practicing in private. Um, and I reflected on, because I was, uh, m my wife made me organize all my camera stuff in my house. And one of the cameras I have is my VHS camera. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at it and it's, it's my parents' Panasonic Omni movie. How messy was your camera stuff? That it, had, it was everywhere. That it it was just everywhere. And she went to the container store and bought a box and okay. was like, Cam this is camera box. Any camera thing needs to go in this box. I got all kinds of cameras. I got a Super 8 camera. I got a VHS camera. I got film cameras. I got yeah. disposable cameras. I got all kinds of cameras in there. It sounds to me like the cameras maybe weren't that much of a problem, but the excitement of going to the container store sure. meant let's organize. E yeah, yeah. Not for me. At least in my I, household. My, like yeah. I think that's what it's more about. For me, like it, I'm like, yeah, sure. My Super 8 is in the laundry room. Whatever. I'll go mm -hmm. grab it when I need it. You know? So, yeah. okay. Anyhow. The, Sorry. Sorry to yeah. derail you there. So this is the case. This is from our Life Through Our Lenses video, which, by the way, is one of my favorite videos we've ever made. So Samir but, is showing me a screenshot yeah. of his LinkedIn post. Yeah. Which, no, he's showing me his LinkedIn post, which has a screenshot of, of his VHS camera. Of my parents' VHS camera, the Panasonic VHS Omni movie. Now, there was an, an incredible amount of friction to this camera. You literally had to load in a tape. There's a button on the side of this camera. You click it, opens, you load in a VHS tape, and you shoot directly into camera, and it shoots onto the tape. The only way to edit is we have this fade to black button, and we would fade to black at the end of a scene, hold that button down at the start of the next scene, and it would fade in into a new scene. And that's what taught us how to what that that effect was like, a, a fade out. Then we started to learn about a jump cut because we would film and then go, what if we didn't press that button? And we just started to learn. And what we would do is we would, after we were done, we would just pop the VHS tape in to the tape player and sit and watch it. And my brother and I would watch it together. And we would be like, oh, cool. What if we did it like this next time? What if we did it like this? And what happened was over time in my life, I really fell in love with the process of making a video and watching it back. And- I think what's happening today for you at 36 years old and saying, I want to become a creator, I think there is a lot wrapped up in the outcome of sharing your work. And there's less emphasis on just making the work. And I think that those two things have become so incredibly intertwined, making and sharing. 
Uh, but I think the first thing I would suggest is develop a relationship with the process of making. So at 36, spend the next 90 days just making stuff and watching it back yourself. There is an incredible pressure of putting yourself out there that I felt when we first started. Every video we uploaded, I felt like it was it was drenched in stakes, mm-hmm. you know, of just like if 4,000 people watch this, it's a failure. So that now means what we just made is not a success. The outcome of it just influenced that it's a failure. Yeah. And on the inverse, one thing that I think we should talk about more in our career is that we would just sit and record podcasts for years, not knowing how many people were listening because we enjoyed sitting and talking to each other for like an hour about things. I mean, on top of that, I think back to when I first started before I even knew you, I did not think almost at all really about distribution. Like I did not care that much. I was just enjoying making these things. I wanted these videos to exist that I was making. And so when you reached out to me for the first time and you were like, hey, what if you put your videos on my YouTube channel because I have some, I'm building distribution. It was like, oh, okay. Like like it was actually the distribution of of who was going to see it, how they were going to react, how many views it was going to get was not even part of the equation. I was like, what song am I picking? Yeah, totally. I was like involved in so many other things that I was excited about. How am I going to do this interview, Right. Like, how is this going to be edited? That's what was fun and was interesting. And then because you enjoy that process, you get into a regular practice of that process, which then creates the potential for you to have an outcome of people enjoying your work. Yeah. And that's that's what I'm saying. And, uh, you know, of course, there was some commentary on this post uh, of people being like, you should always build in public. You know, like, that's the beauty of this moment. But I do think as a creative, there's something that just like develop a just a good relationship with your unique voice. I think if you build in public, you might be influenced to just make what's working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just influenced to go with a sensational concept or a format that someone else did because you're like, that works. Yeah, and I think if you want a long-term career, you want to uh, understand what your craft is and have a relationship with your craft. And you can have multiple crafts. Like right now, I feel very much that I'm building the craft of conversation. Mm-hmm of creating good conversation. You think back to this year, the majority of what we've done is speak. It's like speak Mm -hmm. on our episodes, speak in public. That's one craft we're building. We have other crafts, which were like film and edit. The other craft that I feel like we're starting to develop is the telling an interesting story or explaining something in 60 seconds or less in a vertical video. And that's something I've been really enjoying yeah. is breaking down this challenge of like, how do you explain something in 60 seconds or less in a vertical format? Um, that's been really fun. Um, I actually think we've had that craft for a while. Like if you we, think we back We've been to, flexing it, yeah. We, we, you know, so much of what we did on YouTube was explainer videos and mm-hmm. we've made short explainers before. And now I think because we started talking about tools and AI and, things that seem to be working on Instagram. It's like, oh, that craft is kind of coming back, mm-hmm. you know, as, yeah. as those videos are picking up, which is really fun. The craft I'd like to get better at now is um, speaking directly to a camera. We spoke about this on an interview we did this week. I'm not going to share who the guest was. What? Yeah, I, wow. I'm just pumped. I'm not going to share. Uh, but we spoke about uh, delivering directly to a camera, and I'm like, I don't feel like we're doing it for our course, but I feel out of practice 
and we've, we've had to record that a couple times to kind of just get back in the flow of, okay, I know the information, I know how to deliver it to you, but I'm most comfortable delivering it, not looking at a camera, yeah, delivering into a mic because we've been podcasting for so long. So now I got some wild ideas of where to go next with um, delivering to camera. But I think first and foremost, it's like, I got to start just talking to a camera. I don't have to post it, but I got to start talking to a camera to get back in the practice of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so lo- the long story short is just tune into my LinkedIn because who knows? Starting a career you, as you a creator could, at 36, yeah. all you need to do, follow Samir on LinkedIn. <laughs> I mean, I can't make any promises about consistency there. That's that's my like real playground of just like whatever I want, you know? Yeah. No edits. Just I'm just gonna start posting stuff there. Um, or I'm not. I don't know. Wow. Sounds yeah, like it's a wild ride. A great ad for your LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> Come right. see me here or don't. <laughs> or don't. Or do whatever you want. Whatever. Um, all right. Creator and editor relationships. What would you tell your past self? This comes from Halloween Moon Crab on Discord. Hi, working with a friend of mine to start making long form content. I'll be the creator, he'll be the editor. We're both fresh to this. He's an editor by trade, but wanted some variety gaming experience. If you could go back in time, what advice would you share with yourself on the editor creator dynamic? Wins, failures, would love both perspectives here. I want this to be mutually beneficial. It, it sounds like maybe their uh, Halloween moon crabs understanding of our... Can we just, can we call them HMC? Yeah, for short? it sounds like HMC's understanding of our relationship was a creator-editor relationship, which is not true. Oh, of you and I? Yeah. Oh. See, although we sh- we are on both, we are on two sides of our business, especially now, 12 years later after working together for so long, when we when we started on the Colin and Smear journey or even some of the stuff we were doing with Lacrosse Network, like... I was still in timelines editing. Like it's it's not like our relationship of starting the channel was like you do the editing, I'll be the creator. Um, it's not unlike that. There's parts of that are, that are true. But I think there is a different common ground when you start something and you're both sharing the, the, the like timeline work, mm-hmm. sitting in timelines. I do think that's an important thing. I don't know. These relationships are challenging because editing is a time intensive, very intense craft. And it is the creation of that, the channel, the personality, the opportunities, um, without the editing that doesn't happen. Yeah. I would say HMC, uh, it's important to be able to empathize with the editor. So I would recommend, especially in the, in the early stages of this, you sitting in and learning to edit as well and trying to understand as much as possible what are the challenges? How long does this take? And, and what's the mutual language that you're going to develop for feedback? And that's really developed by like sitting, at least in my experience, sitting next to each other and actually like going through the painful, slow process of making cuts uh, and then taking it back and then doing something a little different, seeing if you like it. You know, I think it's a slow process, but what you want to do is, you know, six months from now, you want to have a language to provide feedback. And things will just get easier if you if you do share a language for the changes you want to make and what what's good, what's not good. I also think that ideally, actually, there's like some clean lines and understanding of like, is the editor working for you? Are they providing a service to you, the creator? Is it you pay them money, they edit a video? Or are you saying you're sharing in the ownership of this channel? 
Because if you are, that can get unbelievably complex because you are the creator, your face is on the channel, the editor feels like they have created the channel. Mm -hmm. And more than any other business, there's an element of authorship and creative ownership that you feel over this thing. And that I think I would turn to and maybe ask this question to someone like Hayden Hillier Smith, who was the editor for a creator for a very long time in Logan Paul. You know, that I think is uh, is a question for someone like that who did this thing. Yeah. Um, th there's been other instances of this, but that relationship I think has to be extremely clean when it comes to how the editor is compensated. Um, I've seen it be done like you get a flat fee and you get a percentage of the AdSense revenue while you are editing here. Mm -hmm. Not in perpetuity, but while you are while we are still in this working relationship. But if the impetus of the channel was you guys together, you are now in a relationship, like in a business relationship that is shared ownership of a business, but that has one person's name on it. That gets really complex. Yeah, I would get ahead of of really understanding what's the exchange of value that that both parties want. You know, does the editor want to be known as the channel grows? Does how mm -hmm. credited does the editor? Uh, want to be. And as the business potentially grows as well, let's say, uh, you know, not just AdSense is growing, but let's say big brand deals start to come through right. and different types of opportunities off the back of these videos. Uh, you know, how does the editor you know, want to be involved, if at all, in some of that, that growth? Let's say the creator gets um, a speaking engagement offer. Um, and they're going to go speak about the creation of the channel. Are you comfortable as the editor with them getting paid to go do that? And talk about the style of the videos and how it's, yeah. how it's been crafted. Yeah, it's it's complex because of the creative ownership piece of this. Um, you gotta you gotta write this all out. And this this is some this is something where just to go back to the top of the conversation, like whether it's Creators Org or someone else, like I do think someone like Hayden, I think can really come forward and talk about like the standardization of creator-editor relationships. I, I really think that as we move forward, what would be really helpful is like, there's three versions of this relationship. There's a work for hire agreement where it's like, I pay you, you edit, here's our agreed upon fee. That's how it works. There is a um, revenue share of AdSense while you're working. Here's a flat fee plus percentage of, of AdSense. And then here's the third version, which is we share ownership of this channel. That is more of a startup agreement. But I think we have to know the options and, and the pros and cons of all those options as you're going into these relationships. Speaking of Halloween, Halloween Mooncrab is mm. the name. Mm -hmm. Speaking of Halloween, mm. Samir, I have an idea for creator merch. Okay. For creator sport. Okay. It's a Halloween package. Okay. For you and a friend. Mm -hmm. Two snorkels, one blue jumpsuit. That's fun. And one black wig. For your hair. Okay, so, okay, sure. Yeah. yeah. What do you think? Yeah. I thought you were going to say- 59.99. Like a creator spooky outfit. That's Get it like now. Just a In bunch time. of gray arrows going down. No, but that's good too. <laughs> I like the idea of just like creator themed I do think Halloween I, costumes. I hope if, if somebody has a good creator themed Halloween costume, please post it into our Discord in the Deep End channel. In the Deep, the deep End, end channel. channel is going wild in uh, the Discord. It is very funny to plug in. There's wild photos of us getting surfaced. Um, and if you have a good Halloween themed, or sorry, creator themed Halloween costume, please post in there. If someone is going to a Halloween party as YouTube Studio, 
exactly you posted in there. That would make me laugh. Or as Samir or myself. Yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> that would be so niche at all. At like a company Halloween party. Like I'm, uh, I'm Colin, but I'm Colin from Colin and Samir in the context of creator support when he wears the blue jumpsuit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Creator Support. We'll be back next week. Uh, and please let us know what you think about this creator union. You can tweet that at us. You can put that in the Discord. You can send us an email. All right. We'll talk to you next week.